Hey everybody, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to a conversation that I'm having with my dear integral brother and sister, brother Terry Patton and sister Diane Hamilton, who are here in Boulder. We're actually preparing for the integral living room, which begins tomorrow, on the topic of death and dying. <laughs> And it's sort of a appropriate term. Because, yeah, exactly. So anyway, Di, Terry, say hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, hey. Di. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Terry. Hi, everybody who's listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody who's listening. Yeah, so we're um, just processing this first day of the era of Trump. And, um, you know, I think that's worth taking a breath and just allowing whatever comes up to come up as we think about that. And uh, so we just wanted to have this conversation, which we would have anyway. We thought we'd share it and, and offer it in, 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 uh, to, in whatever way it can help all of us uh, sort this out. And I'll start a little bit. I, I actually, there's part of me who having watched Donald Trump's acceptance speech, which was, as Terry, you put it, as good as could be expected considering who he is. <laughs> I thought it was a little better than that even. Uh, and listening to Hillary and listening to Obama, that, you know, I do realize that my responsibility as a citizen is to go forward and to uh, hope and help uh, this next era unfold in a way that is as powerful as possible and, and, and evolutionarily potent as possible. And there's part of Donald Trump who has always appealed to a certain part of me, which, you know, just realizes that there are times in the life of every system where it needs to be shaken up. I mean, that's true of businesses. It's true of our lives. And it's true of, um, you know, our country and even the world. We're living in a 75-year-old world order, post-World War II world order. We have an economic system and a government system where there's, you know, just a class of people who are living ever larger and have somehow lost track of people who have been left behind. And it's not the typical people who have been left behind. It's the uh, people in the, the center of the country, the traditionalists, and you know, maybe early modernists, and also people at the red level of development. And that gets me to this whole other set of feelings. And I've made, um, you know, I've done a number of podcasts on Donald Trump and my thesis that he's in very important lines of development, uh, particularly the emotional and moral line of development, that he's operating largely out of red. So he's impulsive and vindictive and, um, and egocentric. Literally, that's what we call red. It's egocentric. It doesn't really have an I-thou relationship with other people. It sees other people as sort of objects on the game board. And the uh, object of the game is to win, me, Donald Trump. And I see him sort of trying to expand that to it's about us and it's about this movement, and I appreciate that. But I worry that we have 
given the keys to the nuclear triad, which is something that Donald Trump didn't know what it was six months ago, to a man who has in every instance used every weapon at his disposal to get what he wants. And that really deeply terrifies me. And I can only hope that the container of higher stages of development in uh, his fellow politicians and in this, the system itself will contain him. Uh, but I fear that it won't. And there we go with the whole Buddhist teaching on hope and fear, you know, <laughs> best to lay them both down. But um, that's where I'm at at this moment. I think I'll just stop there. And Di, what's going on for you, dear? Yeah, thank, thanks, thanks, Jeff, for for sharing your thoughts. I'm, I'm, um, I guess first of all, I have to acknowledge that as much as I rail against the, what feels like this primitive system that we have for electing our leaders, that is just fundamentally adversarial and pushes us into these extreme polar positions, and then creates a lot of competitiveness and uh, for and against, and then I'm caught up in that in my own competitiveness, and I hate like hell to lose. And that's just one of the first things that I'm aware of is I feel like I've, I've been defeated and the woman who I thought had a, stood a chance of becoming the first woman president, which I really wanted to experience in my lifetime. And someone who I actually really admire in a, in a very genuine way, you know, with her, her, um, you know, her, whatever her limits and shortfalls are notwithstanding, who's devoted herself to public service for the last 30 years and has, you know, um, cared about the same issues that I care about and has worked on behalf, I believe, of people who with less, less power and privilege, using her power and privilege in a way that I admire. It, it's a bummer. I don't, like, I don't like the feeling I have right now. That's not what I want to feel. I mean, victory just feels sweeter than defeat. And so right now I'm, I'm uh, experiencing the kind of tumult of defeat, and I'm also feel, experiencing a little sadness in my heart over what I'd hoped for from the first woman president. And then of course the, I'm a, you know, I'm a, an American liberal, you know, Obama's values were my values and I would have liked to have seen his legacy continue. And I think some of the initiatives that he began, most importantly, healthcare and, you know, the work that we were hopefully going to accomplish on immigration. And then, you know, for me, of course, climate change. I mean, nobody addressed climate change in the entire campaign. I think it passed through Hillary Clinton's lips once that I was aware of. Like, I'm concerned about those particular issues. And when you tell me, you know, that, uh, you know, that we just handed over the nuclear codes, that just sends a shudder through my entire system because I wasn't really thinking about that. And at the same time, what I would also say is we're not in the realm of the absolute. We're in the realm of the relative, and the relative is always in flux, and reality creates itself by, by this preserving and innovation, innovating, you know, dialectic, and politics is a dialectic. You warned me very back in the beginning that getting us three terms for any party is, very, is a very hard-fought and probably impossible battle. And I made the mistake of believing the pollsters, and I think, you know, I have to look at what was, what was all that about. And galvanize myself and stay committed and stay aligned with my values. I listened to Hillary Clinton's acceptance speech, and, you know, she just speaks a lot on about how I feel. So she just basically 
you know, admonished everyone to be proud of what her campaign had accomplished, but to, you know, continue that there's always an up to the down and a down to the up, and that's just where we're at. So that's kind of a quick summary, I guess, of where I'm at right now. Yeah, thanks, Di. Terry, how you doing? Well, if, of course, I'm I'm shocked, and I'm, uh, and you know, in a way, all year I've been uh, grieving because this has been a year during which I've come to a whole new level of awareness of the severity and urgency of the human predicament, the ecological crisis. You know, Sixteen months in a row of highest temperatures, you know, the hottest January on record, the hottest February on record. These are tracking worse than the worst case projections from the IPCC. The uh, levels of toxicity and breakdown of natural systems in various places on Earth, mostly not anywhere near the United States, are, are, are reaching critical moments. And, and what I found myself feeling as I saw this whole year's campaign was that the action logic that is determining the behaviors of uh, uh, our public institutions uh, are, are not, not trustable at all. That we're, if it wasn't this year, it would have been four years or eight years or 12 years from now that the power of the United States, the one world superpower, would be in the hands of people who don't believe in evolution, don't believe in climate change, don't have an ability to understand the profound scaffolding for uh, th that our prosperity, that this juggernaut of uh, uh, evolutionary progress has rested on a whole, evol a whole series of evolutionary achievements that many people can't see and can't respect and can't protect. So in a sense, I knew already that we were going to have to go through a period of uh, heartbreaking losses and that that was going to really hurt, you know, me and others, you know, but particularly more vulnerable people. I, I can't imagine how I would feel right now if I were a Muslim American. I think even any African American, any, any woman, seeing how... Trump has behaved is feeling a kind of target on our backs. He promised to put Hillary Clinton in jail, appoint a special prosecutor. The potentials for uh, vindictiveness and, and crudeness could unravel a lot of things because the United States has this unique function in the world uh, in terms of defending modernity against the onslaught of uh, resentments and fears. So all of that is sort of the bad news, but I think everybody of goodwill, and this is the thing I see in my Facebook feed and in all our conversations, understands that the human fabric is woven out of uh, the goodwill and love and uh, creativity of many, many people in many, many moments, and, and we do need to reweave the... Uh, 
sense of connection with our cousins who voted for Trump, with our neighbors who voted for Trump. We have to see what's possible. But in general, those aren't the people that have afforded us a whole lot of empathy and reception of our experience. And so the potential for this to be really a a retrogressive moment, well, maybe it has a, a silver lining. Maybe we end up in a stark confrontation that forces us to really emerge from the cocoon of our comfort and our immunity into a more committed participation as spiritual practitioners and as activists. And maybe this actually becomes the occasion for us to come together. And it's toward that that I feel the greatest sense of commitment, that I have to step into a different relationship to my, I, I can't just be a comfortable middle-class American. I have to step into a new polity, a new political entity that is based in my values. And I have to take up residence there and live from there in a much more direct and powerful way than I've ever seen to be possible. And it feels like a moral obligation now. Yeah. Yeah, well, I... Um I think the world, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways, <laughs> you know, so maybe that's what's happening here. Uh, but I do think it's clear that one of the things that's happened here is that and from an integral perspective that we can understand this, I think, better. And that is that we've elected somebody who's just fundamentally not world centric. He doesn't see the systems of the world, at least not in the interiors. You know, he doesn't feel into the world as a whole. And so he, like a whole lot of people in this country, clearly, uh, you know, half are in that same position. And, and they, and, and I think what is called for from an integral perspective is to somehow be friendly to the fact that we have an American family where half of the people are, you know, ethnocentric, nationalist, um, America first. That, that sort of goes against the sensibility of most mature green people who really see a bigger system and want something good for the whole global commons. And, um, and, and, and that's, not you know we lost <laughs> and mm-hmm. um and and I, and I would also say that i do think that most of trump's supporters are better than he is they're better people than he is and that they actually just want america to have you know jobs and airports and they you know i, I saw a very encouraging statistic the other day from a, a somewhere um, <laughs> where 93% of people uh, surveyed said that they, whatever happened, this was a couple days ago, um, that they hoped that the, both sides will work together. And so uh, whether, you know, again, to me, it's whether we get this Trump who I've seen in interviews be kind of reasonable. He's not ideological. He's for Planned Parenthood way back when. He's not for wars. He's, he's pro-safety net. He's like, you know, we've got to take care of people. You know, he blows the calcified conservative ideology out of the water. But there's reason to hope that if his worst instincts are somehow contained and metabolized, that 
we could see something good come out of this. I doubt it's going to be on the world-centric issues, though, Terry. And I know the, the climate one is, is so close to your heart and yours as well, Di, and mine too. Yeah. That ain't going to happen there. But, um, yeah. you know. Well, that's the one that everything is, you know, our, our well-being depends upon yeah. a healthy biosphere. And this juggernaut of exploitation of the living earth is going is already having repercussions that are undermining the state of, of human beings. We're we're in for a great reckoning. We've overshot the planetary carrying capacity and we're eroding its carrying capacity into the future, reducing it. So the chickens are going to come home to roost. They even have already begun to and so this is a, a, a time to grieve for the species that will die out because of this happening, for the creatures, for the wild places, and yet somehow to champion and take care of them at the same time. Um, I can trust. Well, maybe they'll make um, uh, Eric Trump the, um, the head of the uh, EPA or something for us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the cloud of sorrows that are going to come into power with him is just, uh, yeah, it's the uh, yeah. You know, the big game hunter sons with their elephant tails and their big smiles on their faces and their guns. You know, it's so repulsive to the green sensibility. Could you just feel it? You know, yeah. because oh. we actually are not only world centric, uh, but, you know, have uh, 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 now see animals, you know, as I thou in I thou terms instead of I it. And uh, it's this is um, from an integral perspective, such a huge fulcrum of development that we're seeing here. And it's basically people who have, you know, that not world centric ethnocentric kind of racist light. They, they feel like, you know, all the laws are, 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 are um, you know, you can't discriminate. They don't want to discriminate overtly, but they don't get the interior discrimination and they're not really wanting to work on that. And those of us who do, do, and we can't get it that they don't, but they're part of the family too. And jeez. Yeah, I think there's some I think there's some things that, that we have to reflect on in terms of that, just because at least in watching the returns last night, I think what I was was unprepared for coming into the evening was that he would lead by such a huge margin. It was just clear from the get-go that he, that he had the momentum. And in, in a funny way, I'd been wanting a kind of silent Hillary vote where people came out of the woodwork and voted mm -hmm. for Hillary. And I think people came out of the woodwork and voted for Trump. So for yep. me, that, that helps me reflect on for people who are really coming from a more ethnocentric uh, worldview, you know, that the, that for whatever reason, the, the, the accusations of racism, the accusations of sexism, the, um, you know, strides made in the, uh, with gay marriage, those things are, those are, those are, you know, as you said, in terms of their interiors, those are assaults on their sensibilities. And yep. it's not that I think we shouldn't be doing it. I'm just wondering about it just because the backlash is so intense. Like, is there, I don't know, what, what is the skillful means in terms of really working on the racism and sexism and, and genderism and all that stuff without just, you know, creating kind of 
massive resistance to those changes. The other two things that really come up for me from this election that I that I really do feel are at play that I want to spend some time on. And one is, you know, the, the genuine role of the media in the sense that, you know, the the early part of the election and even up to now, Hillary Clinton received a lot less airtime and most of the press that she got was negative compared to all the other candidates in the primaries and in the, in the general election. And what exactly was the press's motivation? I know that, you know, you and I talked, Jeff, and you, you said that, um, you know, when, when they covered Trump, there were more eyeballs on the screen and therefore more profits in their ads and better returns for their shareholders. And, and therefore you know, more Trump, more Trump, more Trump, more Trump, more Trump, more Trump. And so reality television and the cult of celebrity has had a huge impact on this election. And, you know, I do feel a little bit like Hillary was treated like America's bitch and that her genuine accomplishments were downplayed. I, I'm, I'm forever trying to figure out why her emails got the kind of traction they got when people read them and couldn't, there was never like the smoking gun that everybody anticipated, but it seemed like compared to his breaches, you know, it just, it, that part of it just never made sense to me. So I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm, you know, I still have, you know, there is for me an issue around the, the woman, uh, who for the first time runs for the, the highest office in the land and is treated just terribly, you know, I don't quite know how to integrate that. I don't know how to work with the way in which she was treated. Um, is that really just the nature of politics and, so those those things are kind of left over. I have residue about that. I have residue, as I said earlier, about my interest in polling and then finding out that my Nate Silver loyalty was sort of misled. And why why was that the case? You know, she won the popular vote. So then it brings up the question about the Electoral College. You know, is it really still what it should, is it still serving us? You know, or is it, does it create a weird distortion? You know, that's well, clearly it is. Yeah, there are other issues related to the election that, that you know, bother me that don't simply have to do with Trump being elected. Right. You know, that, that just, just our way of engaging the whole thing. I mean, you know, the, the, that we use competition in the same way that a, that a court, you know, uses the adversarial process to get to truth. And it very rarely works very well. It's very crude. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't allow for nuance or shades of gray. I mean, it's made me think about a parliamentary system or three parties. You know, there's just something about this binary back and forth, for and against, you're my, you know, you're either for me or against me kind of mechanism that we use to elect our leaders that I just kind of feel is archaic. But I, I, I'm hard pressed to know what to do. Well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's literally archaic. I mean, it comes from the archaic stage of development and is the nature of the entire animal kingdom. Uh, well, both fighting and fornicating, you know, both sides of that thing. And uh, apparently we, well, as I say, God has a higher tolerance for conflict than we do and incivility. And, this seems to be the way that the world is set up. And I would argue, actually, that that ends at, first, at the end of first tier. That it's second tier, we can actually um, fight and fuck our way forward in a way that 
you know, causes that's less actual harm. That's a good campaign slogan. <laughs> I know, but, you know, in a way that actually causes... And I would also point out, just from an evolutionary standpoint, it's something we can take some pride in, uh, that the conflicts that we're having now are verbal in, in terms of ideas and character assassination and, instead of real assassination and real violence. And that's, of course, most of human history is real violence. Um, so, you know, two cheers for evolution. Yeah, that's right. And patience. I mean, that's, I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, yeah, no, I do think, you know, we see the pendulum swing back because there are people and we heard from them, you know, they, they just don't buy into this media world, this, this sort of public world that we have in America where you have to be super sensitive. I mean, of course, greens, specialty is becoming sensitive. So we get yeah. sensitive to other people's feelings and people who have been left behind and, you know, the internal racism and sexism and all this stuff. We become therapized and exquisitely tuned to that. But there are a whole bunch of people who aren't, they're not interested. They feel actually oppressed by it. And they actually are. I mean, they're, the, the, yeah, you know, the quintessential... Yeah, the quintessential Trump voter, the one that we think of as, you know, the, the uh, non-college educated white, you know, they're the one group of people we could still make fun of in this country. They're the hillbillies. They're the, I call them the yahoos. I'm, I'm beginning to rethink that. You know, these are people, too, who actually need to be heard in this bigger American system and respected and, and actually... You know, from an integral perspective, we can actually ask ourselves, what are they seeing? What do they get that we don't? Mm -hmm. You know, and there is something about home and hearth and heart and not having the kids move to California and not having them go to college and lose their religion that I don't know what to do about it. But it's a legitimate, um, you know, cry from the heart. Well, I'm not sure if it's a cry from the heart. I feel like it's a cry from the gut. And what they okay. know that we don't know is they really want to win. They want what they want. They're not and we don't. interested in empathizing with us. They're not getting into self-questioning. They're just going for what they're feeling an impulse toward. They're not being self-reflective. And there's a strength in that. And Trump instinctively recognized it, and that's what's come to power in the world's superpower. So there is a, a disaster unfolding environmentally that's going to get a lot worse very quickly because it's not just Trump. It's Republican control of all three branches of government, both houses of Congress. There's really nothing to check the policy implications of that, which is only going to be checked by the living earth, because nature does bat last. And the, the super storms, the financial calamities, the uh, international incidents, these are going to be the things that check Trump's power more than what we can bring forward, people who voted against him. 
there's, well, there's going I, to be I, a period I, in which the, the, so there sure. is a silver lining, too, that Trump will be responsible for what happens on his watch, and people will recognize well, there might, that he created also, it. Let's, let's, you know, but I would, I would just say the other part of that, Harry, you know, because I'm, I'm with you on climate change for sure, but I think the other part of that is we all know that it's much more challenging to govern than it is to, to campaign, and that, you know, all these promises that he's made, you know, if he triggers a trade war, as Andrew Sullivan points out, is he really going to be able to, to bring a million jobs back? You know, he's not going to be able to build this massive wall across the entire southern border. How's he going to fulfill that promise? You know, is he really going to destroy ISIS? Is that actually going to happen? Can he do that? I mean, it's, these things are not that simple. And I think that, you know, the other check on his power is that, he, you know, this is where his lack of experience is a concern in, in the sense that he's never had to balance, you know, competing interests and multiple sets set of really strong wants and needs. And, you know, the ability to actually get things done is takes a tremendous amount of political skill. So I think that's the other thing that I would just say, you know, maybe even moderate Republicans might sometimes, you know, form a coalition with some Democrats, maybe, maybe there'll be things he'll, he'll want to move and shake that he won't be able to. So even though they have the Senate and the House and now the Supreme Court, I'm not so sure that it's going to be all that easy. And you're, you oh, also. I don't think it'll be easy at all. I think it'll be incredibly challenging. But even politically, you, you, have, you have Trump having signed on for Paul Ryan's economic plan, which is a, a regressive tax cut that's going to favor the 1%. It's going to disadvantage the very people that voted him in. It's going to create... You know, the, the dissolution of Obamacare will have whatever ripples, ripple effects it has. Those things will uh, certainly create obstacles. Uh, there will be cries of pain. There will be protests. There will be losses in the midterms. I think that Democrats will gain a lot of seats in both Congress and the White House in the midterms. I mean, Congress and the Senate, uh, both the House and the Senate. But we have a, 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 longer, a longer trajectory in, in which the policies that are going to be enacted in the next few years are going to create environmental disasters that are going to go on decades ahead. And the, the hope will be that the environmental consequences uh, will hit hard enough that they'll function like that two by four across the forehead and actually galvanize a different political sensibility in the country. And maybe let's not hope for that. You know, I mean, uh, maybe we just sort of adapt and, and the, the wheels that are already turning uh, around sustainable energy and solar and so forth. You know, a lot of that happens outside of government. It's just what, becomes, you know, um, government can help. Yeah. In Elon Musk Musk and and Larry Page and uh, Bill Gates, we trust. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Even even going back to healthcare, just really quickly before we move on from that, you know, we talked this morning a little bit about what does happen when they repeal Obamacare. And and Jeff reminded me that that Trump's campaign promises we're going to replace it with something better. He didn't say we're just going to get rid of it. Is yeah. that something fantastic? You know, something fantastic. Even. I mean, is 
Yeah. Is that even possible? And I, I mean, I, well, I'm sorry, Doug, did I go on? No, go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I, I'm good. Clearly, there's problems with Obamacare. And, you know, even my lefty friends don't love it. But I, I think there's a way in which policies made where the pendulum does swing back and forth. The left does their thing and the right does their thing. And it's sort of corrective. And the whole clock moves, if you will. But it moves with a sort of back and forth. And if we do some sort of you know, vouchers or bring in more competition, or I don't know what they'll do. But I'm open to that because I, I, I think there's two things that have been locked in by Obamacare that are really the key. One is no pre-existing conditions. And the other is just a sense that the government does have a role in universal health care in one way or the other. And I think that's a very important move that we ought to notice, that that's probably not going to get ratcheted back. If it does, I'll eat yeah, my I words. But, yeah, yeah, but I think we can, we can get some net progress there. I, I would say yeah. one other thing when we talk about, you know, how the system will contain Trump's uh, worst impulses. The one area where it, the president has enormous unilateral power is military. I mean, he's a cam- commander-in-chief. Uh, he can literally go to the generals and, and, you know, Donald Trump was like, why are we like mobilizing around Mosul and letting these people know three months ahead of time that we're going to invade? We just go and do it. You know, General Patton would be rolling in his grave and he's right. General Patton would be rolling in his grave. And so what he's suggesting is that we go back and fight these wars that we're fighting now from a sort of orange, green, modern, postmodern, where limiting civilian casualties is just paramount. And back to the World War II mode, where we firebombed and, hell, we dropped the atomic bomb. Uh, So I'm really... um, I just I don't know how to wrap my head around Donald Trump being the commander in chief. That's that's the one area where mm-hmm. the bottom falls out of my belly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other stuff I can like, OK, I, I'm good with this guy in, 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 in this certain sense that he doesn't come in with a lot of ideology. He's been all over the map. Conservatives have criticized him. Pure conservatives have criticized him for day one. It's the never Trump movement. And, you know, his answer to that is you make a deal. I'm a deal maker. I'll make a deal. I like that, actually. If it wasn't, you know, a crazy man saying it, I'm afraid, I'd be pretty excited about somebody go down there and knock the heads of all these ideologues and all of these think tanks in this whole, you know, polarization industrial complex that is built up and make a deal. Maybe. Well, you know, I think we have to face, we have to shoulder the reality that we uh, have woken up this morning in a brave new world. In some ways, this is not Germany in the 30s, but in some ways it is Germany in the 30s. We're in uh, a new situation, and this shift of orientation from feeling that we're fundamentally middle-class Americans who are citizens of this uh, nation and, 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 and who are oriented by the economic and social and cultural context that we're used to, uh, I think has to yield to a higher commitment 
just like the people who were part of the resistance in Europe during Hitler's uh, rule were citizens of a higher set of principles, we may have to be that too. Just hanging out in our bubble of comfort may no longer be possible in the same way. And I think opening and and acting, you know, I think that the, particularly I, I imagine that there's going to be a coherence of activism at a whole new level, and it needs to be spiritually inspired and spiritually uh, it needs to feed the participants spiritually in just the ways that members of a serious community of spiritual practice are fed by their participation in their practice and with one another. Activists can be, if there are practitioners, fed by that. And I think that it's, it's a time when spiritual practitioners are going to have to become activists in a whole new way. And activists are going to have to become spiritual practitioners in a whole new way. And the way we practice is going to have to fill certain needs. And, and the ways in which we've been bought off by the little bribes of our prosperous context have to be replaced by different kinds of satisfactions that we can get from our practice and from our fellowship with each other and from the efficacy we can bring forth. And to, to my way of thinking... A serious climate mobilization, because it's so necessary, is the cause around which uh, a certain underground is going to come together. And it may be that that underground, that resistance, can be a context of practice. And I, I don't think I can see the details of that yet, but I can see that uh, it's going to draw us out of our comfort zone, but perhaps into, you know, people live such exciting and satisfying lives during periods of great adversity, you know, like the romance between Humphrey Bogart and uh, uh, Lauren Bacall, was it? Or no, it was Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca. Yeah. There is a kind of love during times of war, a kind of vivacity, a kind of really living life for real that may be our new opportunity. I think we're getting here, here dragged out of the kind of soporific comfort of our embeddedness in this uh, middle-class American dream, and something new is going to be awaiting us. So uh, I'm pondering that. I, I want to offer whatever spiritual and intellectual leadership I can, but in a sense, I think the humility of knowing that this is asking something of us all, including myself, that we can't even see yet is, is, is kind of the price of admission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and reality is not here and never has been to satisfy our preferences, and it's really about you know, using this opportunity to clarify our intention and our values and then to continue to enact them. From that perspective, in my view, nothing's changed. You know, the conditions have changed, but my intention's the same. And in a certain way, I feel like I have to, as you're you're describing, sit up in the buggy of my, my values and the things that I care about in a deeper way, realizing that, you know, death comes to us all and everything is changing. And, you know, the only, the only place to really, uh, you know, place your bet is is with the heart, and you know we do that regardless of who was elected. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Terry. Yeah, I I agree, and I I think that um, 
you know, when, we, when I think about the activism that I'm called for, that's sort of spiritually informed, is the activism of being integral. And, Terry, you mentioned earlier that, you know, these, the, the, the Trump people are not interested in being self-reflective. They're not interested in us. Of course not. You know, they're monoperspectival. They think that their view is the one right one. I'd also point out that that's true of Green. Green's self-reflective in a sort of interior of themselves way in their relationships and so forth, but they're really not that interested in uh, understanding people that are at you know, traditional stages. And I think at Integral, we can do both, and that that is... Um, you know, that we realize that the, the, the person at the higher stage of development is more responsible for the relationship than the person at the lower stage of development. And that um, that's the new activism, uh, or at least that's, uh, that's what calls me. And, um, and, and, and then I would also, um, you know, pray for, the, pray for Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump is going to be the president of the United States. I mean, fuck. Um, I do want him to do good things, and uh, I I don't want to hold hatred in my heart, uh, even though I will never forgive him for birtherism. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, what I you know I, I can only go yeah. so far with this guy. I mean, uh, but but um, I do hope for the best, and will want to work for that. Uh, as the same time that I may take up an adversarial uh, relationship uh, in the same, it, it's like adversarial in behavior, action, but not in my heart. Yeah. Like he, he has an ob- he has an obligation to show up for, you know, the the uneducated American that's feeling disenfranchised. He, you mm-hmm. know, he, I, yeah. I'm with you, Jeff. He he, yeah. he created an obligation, and it's it's a big one. Yeah. And these are people that needed attention. Uh, They they are part of the family, too, and they were seen as the ones who were being um, left behind and and, uh, demeaned. And they ought not be. I mean, you know, I come from the Western Pennsylvania people, and they're a lot better than Donald Trump, let me put it that way. And yet they're fervent supporters. Well, they're a mix. And, and they're a mix it. of people, though, Jeff. I, I one of the things I read this morning was a long Facebook post from our friend Vince Horn of Buddhist Geeks fame, mm-hmm. and uh, Vince was describing his own personal connection to this, mostly in terms of uh, one of his, I think, next door neighbors who has a vicious dog that attacked him in his own driveway, and who they bring over, and the dog. Uh, craps on his driveway almost every day and they have a Trump sign out and when he asks them to stop they just yell at him and you know there's a kind of violence and rudeness in his direct experience with Mm -hmm. one of these people and just opening our heart to understand that they are hurting and so forth is certainly not untrue but it's definitely partial and there is a certain uh, solidarity that I also feel with African Americans and LBGTQ friends and Muslim Americans and all kinds of people who may be under direct threat 
Mexican Americans, people who might be deported. So we're we're in a moment in which there will be lots of different key uh, places where the heart needs to come forward and express its wisdom. None of them are entirely summary. Each is true enough to be said. Each enough. Each has an important role to play in a larger symphony of uh, virtuous uh, engagements, but uh, each of them is going to be partial, too. And that's one of the reasons that I think we're all a little quiet in this very sober moment, because we realize that each of the things that we can say, however true and however important, is partial, and that we're dealing with a brave new world that's going to ask for something holistic and full, multidimensional. And some of that's going to simply have to emerge. We can't articulate it all from where we sit right now. It's going to ask for something new. It's going to ask for creativity. And as soon as I'm done mourning the possibility of the first woman president, I'll come on board. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Isn't that something? I I, I just want to take a moment to praise her. Yeah. What a... What? She... Hillary Clinton was treated so poorly by the press, undermined at every turn, and she proceeded with class and dignity and really ran a great campaign and won even deeper respect and admiration from me. And I uh, feel especially like I want to turn to my friends who had loved Bernie and who had never forgiven Hillary fully for having beaten Bernie in the primary. I know some of them are still feeling like, well, Bernie could have beaten Trump in a way that Hillary could not have. I, uh, I don't think that's true, but there's no way we can know. I certainly am humbled uh, by what happened. Uh, my sense that uh, the rules of politics would have some relationship to what they had been in the past was clearly not reality-based. So, uh, but I hope we can appreciate the incredible integral leadership that we've gotten from Barack Obama, that we almost got from Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine, and we can find our way into a kind of alliance. I think that integral consciousness needs to recognize that in a time of environmental emergency, the green value system is well suited to the life conditions in that respect. And yes, there will be a rainbow of life conditions, some of which obviously are best addressed by red values and red instincts and capacities. That's why Trump's president. Some by amber, blue, traditionalist values, some by modernist orange values. But I think that the next phase of integral leadership is not just bound to its reaction against the green value system, but needs to come into a deeper integration with it. Because the emergency of our time is the imbalance of the living earth and the biosphere. So I think we're in a new moment. A new moment for the whole integral movement, I mean. Yeah, no, right on. Well, what a wonderful conversation. I 
do I feel better already? <laughs> Stirred up for sure. Hey, we haven't had 12 hours to really digest this, so I think we're, you know, we're starting the uh, we're starting the process. Any closing comments from you, Di or Terry? Long live democracy. Yeah. Hmm. Long live wisdom and truth and goodness and beauty. I, yeah. I, I would give up democracy for a reliable system in which wisdom could guide our collective decision making. And it may be that we'll have to. <laughs> well, there's some good thinking that, that the next stage would not be a one man, one vote kind of thing. Uh, but we've got a long ways to, to that. And in the meantime, you know, once again, maybe beautiful, we'll see, but certainly not pretty. Uh, and um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. You know, I think our friendships <laughs> and our capacity to love one another and our capacity to be a source of growth and strength to one another, that's the thing that I want to emphasize here at the end of this session. That is at the core of what I think is brought forward as, as the most important thing. Thank you, Terry. And I think that's a nice last word, and uh, we'll stay in touch. So, everybody, uh, on with the show. We hope you all enjoyed it, and stay tuned for more from The Daily Evolver. I'm Jeff Salzman. Till next time.